so on a list of carols that people would say are their favorite, one of them that comes to the list almost every time is at the top is Oh Holy Night. And it was a song that was written uh, by a, a French poet. And um, there's a lyric that's in that, that beautiful song. You've sung it already this year, or you've heard it at Target or whatever. It's a, it's all, it, it is a really common song that we sing. But there's this little phrase that means so much to me. It says, a weary world, do you remember? Rejoices. Weary world rejoices. Now, when we talk about weary, I want to unpack this for a second. We're going to dive into a series uh, that's going to be a mini-series focusing on the book of Isaiah and how it talks to us about hope in a special way, living hope, that Christ is the, our Emmanuel, God with us. And, and I, I want you to think about tired for a second. I know when we think about being tired, weary is different than tired. Tired's the, you're in class at school, you know that moment when you're in class and the teacher is, is up front and first they were saying something and then at some moment it turns into that wah, 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 right? You guys know? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, and then at some moment your eyelids start to feel like, like an elephant is rappelling off of your eyelids, right? And, and then at some moment you kind of jerk up and you notice the pool of drool. None of you have ever done this before, a few of you. That's tired. Now, now that's, that's one kind of tired. I, I think there's another kind of tired in our life, the exhaustion tired, right? Just, just I worked really hard. Some of you work graveyard shifts. I did the graveyard shift in seminary, um, and it's an experience, right? Um, and, and you get to, to know intimately coffee and energy drinks at some stage in your life, but that's that kind of tired. My dad, my dad, we grew up, he had rental properties, and we had, he had this house uh, that we, he and I were painting together. Some of my fondest memories with my dad have been the privilege of working with him, and we were painting this house. I think it was a four-bedroom ranch in the Dayton area, and I'm like, Dad, what's like the, the longest, like shortest amount of time that it's taken you to paint an entire house? And he's like, maybe like two days. And like, I don't know if it was him or if it was me, but one of us said, let's try to do it in 24 hours, okay? And so, and so we, like, like what you guys might have heard, people who are good painters, they say you can tell the skill of a painter by how little amount of paint. As, we were covered with paint, you know? And, and we accomplished this task in 24 hours. We were so proud of ourselves, like no one cared, right? But we accomplished this task. And I remember just getting in bed and just thinking, I'm gonna sleep for three days straight, right? I was tired, right? So, so we got really tired. We got tired. But, but weary is something different. I love the image that's up on the screens here because weary is this feeling that we have when we recognize that life feels heavier to us than what we ourselves can handle. And, and I love this picture. I actually chose this picture because it communicates something that I think is really common for us. When, we, when we, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, when we realize that we can't be in control of our circumstances, or maybe it just feels like there's so much pressure on us, and we, we start to feel ourselves shaking underneath the responsibility of life or other people around us, the challenges of it. And I love this picture because I think for some of us, of us, we really believe that God is pressing down on our experiences and, and hurting us in that process, that we actually might blame him for the circumstances that we're going through in our life. And I want you to know that that's exactly what Satan wants you to believe, 
that he wants you to believe that God is pushing your circumstances to a point where you can't handle them anymore. And really what he wants to do is he wants you to give up. Today, as we study God's word together, you're going to see four words that if you understand these titles of Christ, you're going to understand that God's understanding of life and what he's created is so very different than this, pressing us down. In fact, it's more like this, that God, the God that we serve is still in control. Do you believe that? that? That he's faithful, that he's sovereign, that he cares for us. And Jesus taught this, the Emmanuel that we sing about, the Emmanuel that we declare his praises for, he said this phrase, come to me when you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you more work to do. He says, I'll give you rest, right? And so come to me when you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. In other words, we together have got this. But for some of us today, we, we walk through the experiences of life and we feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and we're like, I need a little help here, right? I need some support when you don't know what tomorrow's gonna look like, when you are sick and tired and you're tired of being sick and tired, when you're wondering, God, are you still in control? And I think that there's a part of all of that that we find ourselves wrestling with how do we move forward. And I, brothers and sisters, if you stick with me this morning, I think you're gonna be deeply encouraged by the fact that there's a God who not only knows your circumstances, but he can take your weariness. We're not debating if weariness is a thing, by the way. We're agreeing to it, but he can take your weariness and he can actually turn it into rejoicing. You understand that? So it can be a source of joy. Why? Because we understand the God who's helping us to experience the life that we're going through. So, so when Placide Capot um, wrote those, that poem, O Holy Night, in French so many years ago, then 1847, when that was first sung, that, that those words are not God's word specifically, but they rev- represent what we can have in our life. And it, it really does boil down to a question in our lives, and that is, who is in charge? Who do we believe is in charge? So, so what I'm suggesting to you this morning, is if you are that person who keeps trying to handle the circumstances on your own, I think often what happens is that we find ourselves broken in that process, discouraged and, and at the end of our strength and our capacity. But, but there's a God that knows you perfectly that um, has come alongside of us and, and through him, through his strength, we can turn our weariness into rejoicing when we remember who he is and that he is still in control. T- today we're going to look at four names of Christ that as they're described in his inspired word, they're great encouragement to each one of us if we allow them to be. I think it's important for us to know the first point this morning, and I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, that, uh, praise the Lord, we celebrate at this time of year, everybody celebrates at this time of year, that Christ's birth literally changed everything. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, I want you to hear these familiar words written um, hundreds of of years before Christ was born, and a prophetic recognition of what Christ was going to be. It says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is a God-given reminder that he's in control. Behold, the virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son. Now, I don't want to get into the details of this, but that's weird, right? A virgin conceiving and giving birth. We're familiar with the Christmas story, and so it becomes somehow normal to us, but to recognize this was a miracle. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We know elsewhere in scripture that that word Emmanuel, we just sung it, means God with us. I love the way that this is described. The prophet Isaiah came at a time period in history from 739 to 681 BC when the people of Israel were suffering. And um, the, the kingdom of Judah, where he prophesied, he served underneath four different kings, maybe five different kings, that what they wanted to do was kind of to return to the glory days. They, they wanted to remember the days of the Davidic rule, and they wanted to, to get back to when they were on top of things, where their country was um, was, was thriving, um, when it was unified, when it was experiencing blessing over those enemies that surrounded them. And so kings like Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, that they, they, were, they were individuals that wanted to, in some ways, experience God's blessing and his freedom and his protection. And so, and so as this is described here, Isaiah is going to talk about something that's going to be the solution for their problems. And something, as we study Isaiah together over the next few weeks, we're going to see is that the, the people of Judah were confused because they thought they had a political problem, but instead what they really had was a king problem and a king of kings kind of problem. Who is our king? And, and their sin that they were personally participating in, even their kings were participating in, was actually destroying them. It was harming them. It was causing great pain to the point where Isaiah, the prophet who wrote this book, is going to more than likely historically be put to death because of the fact that they didn't want to hear the tough message that he was sharing with them, even though it was a message of hope. But it was their sin that was actually causing great pain in their lives. So this book stands as a testament of hope in the Lord, the one who saves people from themselves. And so here, when we read this, this word, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. I, I love that. I love that phrase. I, do you guys remember the days um, before um, GPSs, when you tried to navigate across like the, it, it, it felt like you're like the early explorers, you know, trekking across the West, right? Like that, that there was this time where you felt like you had to go out and get your compass and then you had your AAA maps, you know, the ones like, can you like drive with the AAA map? No. So you got the trip ticks. So they circled like where construction was four years ago. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And so then, then when you get your map and you're trying to navigate where to go and construction and all of those, I mean, I was so lost. And then when we moved to the Bahamas, like they don't have street signs anywhere. And so the directions were like at the dumpster on the corner of where the dog hangs out. You know, you're like hearing these things. I'm just perpetually lost. So, so, so the, when he says that there's a sign, we like signs, especially directional signs. They're helpful for me. Clear, precise directional signs. Now confession, I have the best phone I can buy. It is on the internet all of the time. It has satellites that are telling me where to go. Um, they, they actually have like pictures now, 3D diagrams of the exit that I'm supposed to take, and I still miss the exit, right? <laughs> I, I want to remind you today, when he says that there's a sign, you got to obey the sign. You got to pay attention to what you're seeing. 
And here, 600 some years, 700 years before Christ, he says, there's going to be a Messiah that's gonna come. There's gonna be marks of this Messiah that are going to be distinctive. Some of those distinctions are going to be, it's a baby born to a virgin. It is going to be called Emmanuel. And, and when this is repeated in the book of Matthew and elsewhere, we get to see the story, recognize that, that when Jesus came, he came in an unexpected way at an unexpected time, but he fulfilled the beauty of this promise, Emmanuel, God with us. And so as it serves as a testament of hope, as we wrestle with what it means to be uh, people who experience God's provision and his blessing and his experience, I just want to ask you the question, what is it that makes you weary? I think there's always been reasons for us to be weary. There, there have, as long as there have been time, things that are discouraging and frustrating, things that, we, we sat at a restaurant last night and, um, and, and there was a TV on in the background. It's been so hard to watch the news, hasn't it? To see some of the things, the rumblings of wars that are around the world, the tornadoes that tore apart part of the, part of, part of our country. Like you watch the footage and, and you see it and, and it's amazing to just see the destruction and you pray for the families and the experiences that people have gone through. And, and I want to remind you today when we talk about weariness, that, that you and I are not just aware of the struggles of Brunswick like we would have historically been at one time in history, but through the internet and through, through the ability to have technology, we're aware of suffering and things that are happening on the other side of the world in real time, right? And so as we wrestle with this, it can compound and feel exhausting and discouraging and frustrating. What, what is it that we're supposed to do? And for some of us, it's the weariness that we experience in our life is from, from things we can't fix. It's from experiences that we've had that haven't turned out in the way that we've expected them to. And, and the question for you is, when you get weary, what do you do? Do you complain? Do you grumble? Do you retreat? Do you hide? Do you self-medicate? I think, I think one of the, the stories that stands out to me that just epitomized this was a man that was at a church that I served at and he had called in. He was really, um, he was really suffering, really hurting, really depressed. And I went over to visit him in his apartment. And, and when I walked in, um, you, as you walked in the door, you could, you could just smell the, the alcohol that was in his room, like uh, where he was at. He just, he just was choosing to, as he was suffering, just drink himself through the experience. And we tried to have a conversation. We're kind of talking through his experience and, and what's happening. And what I noticed with him as I knew him as a friend is that he would go through a cycle that was really common for him. And that was, he's, he's in a difficult spot. So he, so he, he finds something to, to, to kind of drown his, his struggles with. And then, and then at the moment when that pressure comes back to him, it just, he just kind of pushes it down and then comes back around and does this in this, this cycle. And as I'm sitting with him, we're talking about God. We're talking about praying. I'm praying for him. And, and he says, he cuts me off mid conversation. And he says, Sean, God doesn't care about me. No one cares about me. And at that moment, as those words came out of his mouth, his cell phone went off. So now, so we're having this one, two conversation. It's just the two of us. Uh, and he rudely answered the phone while we're talking. And I can overhear, I'm, I'm being kidding about the rooting, rude part. It was, it was awkward anyways, but he, the, the phone goes off. He answers the phone and I can hear it, you know, because the person's loud enough. It wasn't on speakerphone, but it was totally a guy from our church that was calling him and say, hey man, I just wanted to check in just to tell you I love you. I've been praying for you today. I was thinking about you. So he just literally said, no one cares about me. Right? 
No one knows what I'm going, no one cares. And here I am standing in his living room because I care about him. And here's somebody from the church unsolicited is pursuing him because he's loved. I, I think that the juxtaposition of those two things are, are so helpful for us. There's a God that wants to help bear the load for you. But if you choose to keep taking matters in your own hands, and there's a million ways to do it. Don't, don't misinterpret me picking on one of those ways. There's a million different ways to distract yourself from the struggles of life. And what God is saying to you is, no, no, keep, keep struggling through life, but we together can go through this. So, so the sign of the Messiah coming, Emmanuel, God with us, was clearly described. And then in the text, as it goes on later in, um, in chapter, chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse 6, we get to see that the Messiah, praise the Lord for this, the Messiah is your and my living hope, that, that he is the the hope that you and I can have in the midst of our circumstances. And, and we're going to describe the Messiah now. So before Emmanuel was called God with us, and now we understand characteristics about this Messiah that also show up in the songs that we sing. I, I love the way Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon about this, this verse, just, just one of these four descriptions, he says this, Beloved, there are a thousand things in this world that are called by names that do not belong to them. But I must announce at the very opening that Christ is called wonderful because he is so. Isn't that great? So the description there is he's saying Christ is our wonderful counselor. So it says this beginning in verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. I wanna, wanna pause here for a second and clarify. When he says a child is born, it emphasizes the humanity of Christ. That we, we recognize the, the, um, the incarnation that when Jesus came fully God and fully man, that he was dependent upon us. That he, was, was, um, he condescended in such a way that, that he was fully man. No question about it in his description. But when it says to us, a son is given, we also recognize him as the pre-incarnate God of the universe that always was and always will be. And so here, the God-man given to us, it says then the next statement, something very interesting. And it's, it's the title of the sermon this morning in a way, that, that God is and always has been in control. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Th those four descriptions, we're going to camp on these for a few minutes because they're very helpful for us. I want you to think about a counselor for a second. I want you to think about God being the one who helps us to manage the burden of life. And I, and I want you to picture a counselor who is helpful. I, I've had some great counselors in my life that have pointed out some blind spots, helped us work through times in our relationships that are complicated and very grateful for good counselors. Now, this isn't just a good counselor. This is a wonderful counselor. Um, I want you to imagine the blessing of having a counselor that knows your past completely, um, that knows your present perfectly, 
and knows the, the future. Isn't that awesome? So, so um, if I had a financial counselor or my parents had a financial counselor when they were invited, I'm not making this up, invited in uh, a wetlands of Florida to go to a presentation by Disney World, I guess it was, Disney World Land. Oh yeah, Disney World. So, um, so Walt, Walt and his clan invited my parents to come in to buy ground level stock in Disney World, okay? Um, so, so they thought about it and they thought it might be a waste of money, okay? Now, now if, if they had the ability to know what was coming, um, they would have understood that that would have been a pretty awesome investment, right? But, but because of this this recognition that this counselor, that we have the wonderful counselor, so much more than about finances. When you stand back and you say, what is going to happen tomorrow? I, I laughed about that this year when we were working on the church's budget for next, like how do you set a budget during a pandemic? It's hard, right? How do you, how do you anticipate what God is and isn't gonna do this next year? How is it gonna work? So, so we stand back in the midst of that and we say, Lord, we need you to be our counselor. He is not just a good counselor. He is our wonderful counselor, our unique counselor, our divine counselor. The next statement, wonderful counselor. The next one is mighty God. I think that it's important for us this time of year to accept that for some of us, we really like baby Jesus, right? He's, he's comfortable. He's cute. Uh, he makes great Christmas cards, right? Ba baby Jesus is comfortable for us because we celebrate the incarnation of Christ. It's important. But to understand that what makes that so incredible is that it was the almighty God, that same God that when the disciples are struggling with the storm, that he says, be silent. The same God that we're told when it came to time for him to pay his taxes, which he did in that process, he's plucking coins out of fish's mouths to pay his taxes. How cool is that? You understand? Jesus could print his own money, right? That, that he literally, we were told that he had, some of you are like, how does that work? You understand what I mean, right? Like that we were told that he had, has the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't lack anything. And so when we think of him as our mighty God, that we recognize that he has all the power and authority of God um, and that he was dwelling amongst us. This is what's so amazing about the Messiah. Now, as we progress further, what they expected, even the disciples, was a political turnover of the leadership in the country when the Messiah came. The disciples thought they were part of a political movement, not necessarily a religious one. And so here he, he's saying, I'm the almighty God. I am your wonderful counselor. And then the next phrase is so good. He is our everlasting father. One of my favorite mentors in seminary was a professor who was adopted at a very young age. He never knew his parents. And, and he would talk about this passage of scripture in a unique way. When we talk about everlasting father, we're talking about him being our perfect father, that he claims us, that he knows us, that he understands us personally. And why we call the body of Christ the family of God, it's because of the fact that we've been adopted or claimed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Isn't that encouraging to you? Isn't that beautiful to think of him calling himself our good heavenly father and he's everlasting. He doesn't change for us. So, so my friend who was adopted, who didn't know his earthly father personally, he could find himself fascinated by God's ability to adopt him into his family. Isn't that great? 
And, and so we see him as our wonderful counselor, our, our mighty God, our everlasting father. And this last one, especially when we're talking about a weary world rejoicing, that he is described as the prince of peace. The idea of peace or shalom in scripture is an important one. That It means that not that our circumstances are perfect, but we're sheltered amidst the chaos of our lives. He is the place of peace. He is our prince of peace. He is our shalom. And the fact that he's called the prince moves us into the fact that he's claiming to be a ruler. He's claiming to be an authority. He's, so, so now politics come in again, and he's saying, I am the prince of peace. I am your living hope. I am the ruler that claims authority over your lives. Now, let me just remind you about this about God. The God who created the universe reigns. Praise the Lord for that. It's important for us to also remember that we live in a contested kingdom. And what that means is Satan claims authority, God claims authority. Guess who's going to win in the rest of the story? So we have a prince of peace, but we get to choose how we're going to respond, how we're going to experience life, if we're going to give in to and trust him, take him at his word, or if we're going to be someone who rejects his authority and work in our life. So when he says there's going to be a sign, Emmanuel, God with us, Fully God, fully man. He's going to be a gift to you and he's going to pierce the darkness. Are you going to allow him to take over the burden of your life? Or are you going to be a person that continues to attempt to do things in your own way? He's provided for you the direction that he wants. I love the way Raymond C. Ortland puts this. This is really encouraging to me. He says, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Assyrians and all the big shots of this world that he can defeat them by coming as a mere child. His answer to the bullies swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is Jesus. Look at Jesus as the wonderful counselor. He has the best ideas and the strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. As the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. Friends, this morning, I believe that it's essential for us to understand that he truly is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He is our prince of peace. He is our everlasting father. That is what he is called. That is how he is described. And the question for each one of us is, are we allowing him to function that way in our lives? Are we allowing him to serve in that role in our lives? So when that Prince of Peace reconciles us to God, the giver of peace, the, the one who allows us to experience the fullness of his strength and glory, do we let him be that? Verse 6 goes on to describe it this way. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and from evermore. I think it's so essential for us to understand that, that this, this pronouncement was that from Isaiah, six, seven hundred years before Jesus, that he would come that he would be the final king whose reign would result in increasing peace forever. Most governments increase through war, but this one would grow through peace. 
that he would be this ruler that would happen because God's strategy to defeat the enemies of of Judah would not be a stronger army or better better soldiers. It would be through a baby. And and so so we stand back in awe of the goodness and the provision of God. And, And we do find ourselves celebrating his provision and his goodness. So, so it's important for us as we attempt to apply this simple truth in our lives that God is in control even when it doesn't feel like it. Do, do you understand that truth? That God is in control even when it does not feel like it. He reigns over our contested um, our contested kingdom. I, I, I love the experience. It was kind of a complicated one, but my wife and I, on our honeymoon, we went to Southern, um, we went to, to, I was there, I remember. Um, we went to Colorado, and uh, we had somebody give us a gift to go to this place called the Dur Fondue Chessel. Some of you may have been or heard of this place before. It's on Keystone Mountain in Colorado. And um, the way you get up to this place, there's like a five-star restaurant up there and there's a fondue restaurant that's up there, which I know you guys are making fun of me because we went to a fondue restaurant, but it was good. We had fun, okay? Uh, So we went on our honeymoon and the way you get there is that you take a gondola up to another gondola and then it takes you down into just this amazing place in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. And uh, we had had this experience on our honeymoon. It was wonderful. And then um, we decided to go back for one of our anniversaries. So the girls... Uh, we're staying with my parents there in Breckenridge, and we uh, were super excited. But when you booked this particular restaurant, it was unusual because you had to have a reservation, and they warned you, sometimes the weather may be inclement. They actually said on the phone that, that we've never had this happen, but if it does happen, uh, there's cots up there and blankets, and um, you may just get stuck up there to be aware of this. Well, um, guess who got lucky enough to be stuck up there, right? So, so we enjoyed our dinner. We had a wonderful time, and then and we could tell something strange was happening because as people's, uh, people were wrapping up their meals, a lot of the workers had taken off. We'd find out later on they took these like awesome snowmobiles back home and they left us there. There's just a handful of workers there. There were no cots, no blankets. There's babies without diapers. It was really complicated. So people, people in their tuxedos, dressed up, sleeping literally on the floor in this, in this restaurant. People who are saying they're missing their flights. It was, it was, it was crazy, the experience. And, and as, as I watched it all play out, the thought that just kept going through my mind over and over again is who's in charge? Like who, who's in charge? They, they said that they're, well, the workers have taken off and, and people like me, I'm kind of a take charge kind of person. And at some point, uh, after trying to help in the ways that we could, we actually got a cell phone call down to, um, because nothing was happening, got down to like a news company that we, we told them like, hey, there's a bunch of people stuck up on the mountain. We were down the mountain in 20 minutes, which is awesome. But um, all that being said, the experience just, just remind us, we feel this way, don't we? Who's in charge? This is crazy. What's happening? This is discouraging. I don't, I don't know what to do next. How do we keep moving forward? And I want to remind you, when we talk about this, this God that is our king, this, this, this uh, gift of the Messiah, this Emmanuel, God with us, he reigns. He is in control, even when it doesn't feel like it. You know, waiting around for something bad to happen is not the way that we want to live our lives. We want to be people who recognize that God is on the move. We trust him. We want to join him in what he's doing. Even with the disciples, 
when the disciples um, understood Jesus and they, they followed him, there was a calling that he placed on their life. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I think they were actually signing up for something they thought might be more political than what it was. But instead, what Jesus was going to teach them, like he teaches us, is what it means to serve and to forgive and to understand a personal relationship with him. And so, so very specifically, when Jesus says, in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He allows us to have a choice to decide if we are going to receive the gift of control that he's given. The, the gift that he's done to care for and to help us through the experiences of our life, to even experience the salvation that he's offered for us. It is not God forcing the pressure of the world upon us, but instead it's saying, I want to help carry you through the experiences of your life. I think that, that for some of us in our weariness and our discouraged state, we, we've kind of come to a place where we're at this existential question, what's next? I, I love um, the story that Paul Harvey tells. Some of you appreciate Paul Harvey. My dad used to listen to him a lot growing up, but he tells the story of a man who was in his late 60s and he was collecting his social security checks and he is re retired. He was a retired, um, uh, different thing. He was an retired, retired insurance salesman, gas, pumped gas for a while in his life, had some other odd jobs, but got to the point where he could, could retire and he was discouraged as he's just waiting uh, for the next social security check to show up. And and at some point in his life, he decided he was going to do an audit of the things that he's grateful for in his life. So he sits down, he starts writing things down, like things I'm thankful for. And so he starts to, to build up a great list uh, of things that he's thankful for. And one of those things that he comes across is his mom's special recipe for chicken, uh, fried chicken. And he ends up um, deciding he's going to do something with that. So he goes around to some gas stations there, starts making chicken, and it starts, um, it's Colonel Sanders, okay? Uh, the guy ends up, um, you know, changing his life and having an impact on, uh, like, he, he just decided that he wasn't going to give up, right? He's going to keep moving, keep trying something new, moving forward. And, and I want to challenge you this morning as we um, continue to consider what it means to have a God who has given us the direction that he wants us to, to experience, that he's come so that we can be that weary world that is rejoicing, that he's offering us not just hope, but a living hope, that, that I want to encourage you that, that your, his work in your life is not done yet. It is, it is not time for us to just give up and to tap out and to say, uh, I'm done. But instead, it's to be able to say, Lord, I trust you. I want to trust you as mine. Do you, you remember these descriptions? That, that, that he is my wonderful counselor. He is my mighty God. He is my prince of peace. He is my everlasting father. The, the question for each one of us is, are we going to be people who allow him to serve in that role in our lives? Are we going to allow him to be the God that he claims that he can be in our life. And so this Christmas season, as we recognize the gifts that, that God has given us and the blessing and the stories, in my weekly email this last week, I, um, there was a, a picture that we sent out and it was a picture of, of the manger, the humble manger that, um, that we, we know the story of the humble manger. And, and there's just a Christmas gift that's sitting right on top of it. I love the image. It communicates a lot 
Because, because I think we get caught up in the lights and, and the experiences of this time period and the busyness and the parties and, and all of those things. And at some moment, we forget that it's truly about the gift of the Messiah, the one who came so that we can declare that the weary world rejoices. Charles Spurgeon in that sermon that I mentioned earlier, says this. He says, My dear friends, we live today upon the verge of that bright spot. The world has been passing through these clouds of darkness, and the light is gleaming on us now. Like a glintings of the first rays of morning, we are coming to a brighter day. At evening, time, shall, time it shall be light. The clouds and darkness shall be rolled up as a mantle that God needs no longer and shall appear in his glory. And his people will rejoice with him. But you must mark that all the brightness was a result of this child born, this son given, whose name is called Wonderful. And if we can discern any brightness in our own hearts or in the world's history, it came from nowhere else than from the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, mighty God. So, so when we look at our lives, when we recognize the provision of Emmanuel, God with us, I want to gently remind you, I want to encourage you this morning. He says to us, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. So, so let me ask you, what is, what is your story? Uh, how, how is it that you're approaching the weariness of life? Are you just trying harder? Are you just experiencing the pain more? Are you grumbling? Are you complaining? Or are you allowing yourself to entrust your circumstances in the God that tells you that he knows them perfectly? I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as we close our time out in worship. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for these words that were penned so many years ago in the mid-1800s. A weary world rejoices. I thank you for these prophecies written by Isaiah some six, seven hundred years before Jesus that described him perfectly as our Prince of Peace, our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father. And I, I pray that as we talk about lyrics of songs that are verses that are a part of our lives. I just pray for the world that's around us that, that sings these songs, that they would know the God that they're about, Lord, the, that, that this familiarity that we have with these experiences, that it would not breed contempt, but instead that it would allow us to sit back in awe of your goodness. I pray for each one of us as we declare you as our Messiah, as our our King of kings and our Lord of lords, Lord, that it would be the cry of our hearts on this significant season. We thank you for the gift of Christ. I pray that we would be people that live like it was the gift that moves us from weariness to rejoicing. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.